We are in a series through the book of Acts. I'm calling it First Steps, Lessons from Acts. Today, First Unreachables, which I discovered when I, when I put that word in uh, Word, it has a little squiggly red line under it and says that's not a word. Um, but unreachable without an S is a word, but plural is not a word. So I don't understand that uh, because you can be unreachable. And then more, if, you're, if there's more than one unreachable, it would be unreachables, right? I don't know. Uh, but uh, anyway, first unreachables, and we're looking in Acts chapter 17, verse 16 through 34. Um, and I encourage you, open up your Bibles, pull out your, your phones, and just uh, keep, your, keep, keep that open because there'll be scriptures on the screen, but they won't stay up there all the time. So uh, if you have it open already, you can just keep referring to it there. Uh, uh, Acts chapter 17, verse 16 through 34. A couple of weeks ago, Dean Owens was here, you guys remember, uh, if you were here during that time, campus minister at UNC Chapel Hill. Uh, and uh, during his time at Sunday school, he spoke of uh, Professor Bart Ehrman, and I think Daryl mentioned him too a couple of weeks ago during his communion meditation. He's a professor of religious studies at, at University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, and Dean was telling us a little bit about him. I read, I read some online uh, about Professor Ehrman and saw that um, Professor Ehrman believes that Jesus lived and that he died in Jerusalem about 30 AD. Um, he believes that Jesus was a Jewish teacher who had uh, a following of people uh, during that time. But Professor Ehrman, uh, the professor of religious studies at UNC Chapel Hill, uh, does not believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Uh, he does not believe that Jesus rose from the dead uh, and that he ascended to heaven. Um, he believes that Jesus was just a man, a Jewish teacher, but just a man, uh, and has become somewhat of a legend, uh, but certainly not Lord. Um, there are many people in our world today who are like Professor Ehrman. Um, many people... Some of them very intelligent, like professors in colleges uh, and universities, uh, who have concluded that the God that you and I serve as Christians um, uh, is that we serve and that we that we worship. Uh, it, uh, this God that we know doesn't exist, um, or perhaps they believe that maybe there is a God, but He's way off and in a distance, and we can't have a personal relationship with him. And then there's others among us in our culture that, that may say, they, you know, yeah, I believe in God, uh, sure, uh, God is in existence, but they don't see the urgency of following him or serving him, worshiping him. Um, uh, you know, it's, it's not necessary for me to do anything about my relationship with God. Um, and maybe you have a, a, someone in your life that fits in one of those categories. Maybe you have a coworker or a friend um, or a family member that doesn't believe in God um, or, uh, or, or just doesn't see the need to have a relationship with him. Uh, there's no need for God to be a part of my life. Okay, he's just there, but I'm going to live my life and not worry about him. You know, the temptation might be for people like that who are in our lives uh, to simply just avoid them, uh, or to just write them off as unreachable. 
Oh, these people are, you know, they would never accept Jesus. So why even bother? Why even bother? Yet, Jesus died for them, didn't he? Uh, Whether they believe in, in Jesus or not, whether they see the need for Jesus in their lives. Uh, you know, Jesus is their Savior, whether they believe it or not. They do desperately need Him, just like you and I desperately need Jesus, because without Jesus, we're all lost. So the question is, do we waste our time with someone who we think probably is not interested, or maybe we, we know they're not interested in knowing Jesus, do we even waste our time trying to reach out to them? Well, your atheist neighbor uh, or friend is, is not the first atheist to uh, deny the existence of God, the existence of a Savior. Um, you know, those first Christians and the first missionaries um, were surrounded by, by pagans, by people that didn't believe in the living God. They believe in gods, but they didn't believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the true living God. They lived in first century Rome, which was a culture dominated by Roman and Greek uh, paganism. Every town that you came to uh, would have a pagan temple or two, or three, or ten, um, that honored the, the, one of the many gods that the pagan, the pagan people uh, recognized. And as Paul and Barnabas, and then later Paul and Silas, who were the first sent out missionaries, uh, as they traveled throughout the region uh, on their journeys, they had quite a task in front of them when they would enter a town. Um, they had to try to reach two different groups of people. First, they would try to reach the Jewish people. They would always go to the synagogue first. And and, uh, there, they had to convince the Jewish people of the community that that Jesus was their promised Messiah. Uh, That their God that they worshipped, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, had prophesied about this Jesus and that they should see him uh, not as just some new God on the scene like the pagans have, but, but the God promised to them by God. So they had to try to convince the Jewish people that Jesus was their Messiah. And then they had to try to convince the pagans that their gods were not real. Uh, that there was only one true God who created all things. And that all their fancy temples and statues were worthless. Now, how do you how do you help people see who God is and from their different perspectives? On Paul's first missionary journey, mostly in Asia Minor, which is modern day Turkey today, Paul and Barnabas had some success in reaching both of those groups: the Jewish community and the the, the pagan community. They went to to Cyprus, Lystra, Iconium, Antioch. Uh, so if, if you look down at the ledger down here, first missionary journey is the red dashes. So the, they started at Antioch and, and went up into this area here, into these different cities. Uh, that was a fairly close by missionary journey. Didn't venture too far away from the, home, the homeland. Um, and they were able to reach some Jewish people. They were able to reach some, 
some Gentiles, some pagans, to help them see that they needed Jesus. Um, um, most of these people that they, that they uh, encountered in these places were not college-educated uh, philosophers, like we're going to see in a few moments. Uh, they were just down-to-earth folks that, um, that were living their lives. Uh, many of them accepted Jesus. Churches were planted in these cities. Uh, as they returned back home, Paul and Barnabas uh, uh, felt and uh, saw that we see that their missionary journey was a success. Uh, they, they had some success in sharing Jesus with the people that they encountered. And soon after their first journey, Paul set out on his second journey. The second journey is the, uh, the purple line, solid line, as they started from uh, Jerusalem and headed up into Asia Minor there. Um, uh, this time, Paul had a new uh, partner. His name was Silas. Now, on this journey, they worked their way through some of the, the same cities that, that they had gone uh, in the first city. Uh, they, uh, the first trip, they went back to uh, Antioch and Iconium and Lystra in this area. They wanted to go down in here, but the Holy Spirit kept them from going there, and they ended up uh, over in Europe. So once you cross over to this, to this continent here, you're in Europe. So for the first time ever, um, the, the message of Christ was, was taken to the continent of Europe. These were the first missionaries to do that. And there in Philippi, as you see at the top there, was the first, one of the first places they went. They encountered Lydia. You remember we talked about her on Mother's Day. Um, down by the river, uh, where, where she was with some other ladies. She was, if you remember the, 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 the theme for that message, she was in the right place at the right time where she made the right decision to make Jesus her Lord and Savior. Then they stopped at Thessalonica and Berea, which were the next towns over, following the red line, the, the purple line. Um, uh, in Thessalonica, Paul and Silas's message <clears throat> about Jesus was mostly rejected by those that they preached to. There were jealous religious leaders there uh, who didn't want to, their, to lose their followers. Uh, they were very emotional in their reaction to, uh, to the message of Jesus. And so they formed mobs and, and they wanted to, to kill Paul and Silas. And, and uh, so they escaped uh, and they found themselves in the next town over, Berea. Now, in Berea, things were different. It's interesting how things can change from town to town. Uh, in, in Berea, things were different. Uh, those in Berea heard the message and didn't seem to be driven as much by emotion. But, but they took time to listen and to reason and to study. They were more of noble character, it was said, uh, than those in Thessalonica because uh, they, they, okay, let's, let's hear what you got to say. And they studied scripture. Of course, it was Old Testament scripture, but they studied scripture. And, and as a result, in Berea, many accepted Jesus. So it was different in, in that town. Now, while they were in Berea, uh, the Thessalonians couldn't, couldn't stand that uh, this that what Paul and Silas were doing. So they took their mob and they went down to Berea uh, and they started trying to stir the people up there uh, as they had in Thessalonica. So the Christians in Berea escorted Paul out of town and took him to Athens uh, down um, at, the, at the point there in, uh, in that continent, just above, just over from Corinth. 
They took him to Athens, um, and uh, his partners Silas and Timothy stayed in Berea for a while. They would join him later. But for now, Paul's by himself in the big city of Athens. Upon his arrival there, Paul, as he always did, got straight to work. You know, he didn't waste a whole lot of time. He did what he usually does. Uh, did he went to the first to the Jewish synagogue? Chapter seventeen, verse seventeen, we see that, and uh, there he reasoned with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles. A God-fearing Gentile is a Gentile who believes in the true living God, but has not converted over to Judaism yet. But they would often go to the synagogue to worship. And, and so he was reasoning with them, again, sharing them uh, from Scripture, why Jesus is their Messiah. Um, now, in, in other cities, he would, he would often uh, be able to demonstrate to this audience and with this audience here at the synagogue, you know, you could take Scripture and you could say, well, your own Scripture, you see, see how Jesus is prophesied? Um, the, the one I'm speaking to you is, is not just some new made-up God. It, it's someone that, that your scripture spoke of. And so he could reason with them in the Old Testament. And usually with the Jewish audience, there would, there would be a split. There would be some who would not want to have anything to do with it. And then there would be others who would believe and follow uh, and become Christians. But Paul also spent time in the local marketplace among the Gentiles. Uh, the marketplace was called the Agora. Um, this was a, a public gathering place for business, law, education. Um, you could always find a crowd of people there, again, mostly Gentiles, uh, who, who would listen to anything you had to say. That was one of the characteristics of the people in Athens. They, they liked to listen to things that people had to say. Um, some of the people who stopped to listen to Paul were members of some of the prominent philosophical groups uh, that existed in Athens. Athens was a, a major center for new ideas. Remember we talked about last week uh, the difference between the Eastern cultures and the Western cultures. Now, Eastern cultures were all about the old, the ancient, the tradition uh, of, of their ancestors, uh, including the Jewish uh, culture as well. But in the West, and, and as you cross into Europe, you're crossing into the West, um, especially in Athens. Uh, they love to talk about new stuff, new ideas. Let's, let's hear what you got to say. They weren't so stuck on the old. Uh, and so people gathered there from different points of view and ideologies to debate the meaning of life. Uh, don't we love to do that? What's, what's the meaning of life? They like to talk about that. Uh, and two of the more prominent groups there were the Stoics and the Epicureans. Uh, the Stoics uh, were, uh, they're, 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 the father of their uh, group was Zeno of Cyprus was his name. He lived from 335 to 263 B.C. Um, he held uh, classes on the painted porch, which uh, uh, the word for that is Stoa Poikile, Stoa Poikile, uh, which is where the name Stoic came from. So Stoic means painted porch. Uh, and their philosophy was basically this. Since everything that we love can be lost, and that would make us sad, then the highest pleasure would be to crave nothing. Crave nothing. So if you don't crave anything, then you'll never be disappointed, right? 
that, that was the way they looked at life. The other group, the Epicureans, followed the teaching of Epicurus, Epicurus, who lived from 341 to 270 B.C. Uh, his philosophy was basically, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. Uh, so now, however, they were not... Uh, uh, they didn't believe that you eat, drink, and be merry um, uh, no matter what. No matter what. They, they weren't raw hedonists. They were, they were cautious hedonists. Uh, the, their, their caution uh, was that, you know, okay, let's enjoy life, but, but you know, let's, let's not jump off the top of a hotel into a swimming pool uh, because you might bash your head on the concrete and, and die. So... so uh, Pleasure, yes, but, you know, let's be cautious about it. We don't want to die while we're enjoying our pleasure. Anyway, that was two of the, the philosophies, the, some of the primary philosophical points of view of these Athenians that Paul encountered. So while he was speaking at the Agora, the marketplace, men from those schools of thought heard his message, uh, and they went back to their groups, uh, apparently, and they said, hey, man, you got to hear this, this guy we heard at the, at the Agora. Uh, man, he, he, he's interesting. He's new. We've never heard this before. He's babbling on and on about some guy who rose from the grave, some new foreign god. Uh, it might be worth listening. Let's go down and talk to this guy. So the, this group of philosophers, uh, uh, they had a, a group, they would meet together, and their group was called the Areopagus. The Areopagus invited him to meet in a more private place where they could talk just, just face-to-face uh, uh, and talk further. So they left the marketplace where all everybody went, and they went to a place called the Areopagus, or Mars Hill is, is, is what that means. This was a stone hill, and you can see pictures of it online. Uh, it was just a short walk from the Agora. It was the original place of meeting for philosophers, and that's where they got their name from, the Areopagus. They were somewhat of a ruling body in Athens. Uh, they dealt with disputes and even legal matters sometimes. They were a very respected group of men there in the city, and so the What's interesting about that is anything that these guys believed was influential in the whole city. So whatever these guys thought about whatever Paul said, you know, that could have a great influence in what the whole city believed. So let's go to Acts 17 and begin in verse 19. They go to Paul at the Areopagus and they say, may we know... Paul, what this new teaching is that you are presenting, you're bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we want to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest idea, ideas. You know, we believe what we believe, Paul, but you know what? It's not set in stone. <laughs> it's not set in stone. Uh, there's some wiggle room. We got an open mind. Let's, let's hear what you got to say. We're always open to hear uh, new ideas about the meaning of life. So Paul was more than willing to tell them this new idea, which was not a new idea at all, as he would explain to the Jewish audiences. It was an ancient idea that, that had been prophesied uh, for centuries. An idea that everybody needed to hear. 
an idea that had been around since the beginning of time, really. Verse 22, Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. Now what you worship as something unknown, I'm going to proclaim to you. You know, as Paul went about Athens preaching, uh, he couldn't help but noticing what was happening in this happening town. Uh, you know, maybe when you've traveled uh, around the country and even in other countries, some of you were talking about going to Europe and, and other places you've been, I, I would imagine that you've probably taken time to just walk around the city uh, that, you, that you're visiting uh, and enjoying you know, the sights and, and, and seeing what you can learn about it. Um, Jack and I often go to the North American Christian Convention, uh, and a lot of times it's up in the, the Midwest, up in Indianapolis or Lexington, Louisville, Cincinnati, Columbus, some of those places. And uh, I, the last several times that we've gone, I've, I've taken my bicycle, and, uh, uh, and when I have some free time, I just ride around all over downtown in those cities, and I really have enjoyed just seeing the sights and, and uh, the, the shops and the cafes and the, 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 the tourist attractions. Uh, it, it's really enjoyable. Now, I don't know that I don't want to do it these days. <laughs> Probably wouldn't be safe. Maybe, maybe it wouldn't be so safe to do it these days, but I always enjoyed wherever I went, whether it's in the military or when we went to Ghana. Uh, I remember in Ghana, whenever I, when I had some free time, I would just walk around the neighborhoods and just just see the sights. It's, it's always a, a fun thing to do, an interesting thing to do. Well, Paul was doing that same thing in the city of Athens, uh, looking at the sights of this ancient city. Um, the, uh, and one of the things that stood out to him as he walked around and to see the sights was not the skyscrapers or the Parthenon uh, or the cafes, uh, no, the thing that really got his attention was the hundreds, if not thousands, of idols that existed throughout this city, especially in the marketplace, in the Agora. A biblical scholar and, and author, uh, college professor Mark Moore, said this about it. It was a veritable rock garden of gods and emperors, immortals engraved in silent stone great description. You know, you can imagine how this must have affected Paul as he's walking around this city. Uh, now, he was traveling to tell the world about Jesus, right? That was his purpose, uh, about the true living God. That was, that was what his mission was. Um, uh, and, and, and there, everywhere he looked, were these worthless images of, of things that the people thought and believed were gods that they could have some relationship with or, or could somehow affect their life, these stone statues. Um, he possessed the truth, and they embraced hopeless lies. Perhaps he thought, how in the world do I begin to get through to these people? Uh, how can I help them see the truth? They'll never listen to me. Maybe he thought that. They'll never listen to me. Uh, 
But then one day, as he was walking around the city, he saw something that gave him an idea. Or, or perhaps more accurately, the Holy Spirit gave him an idea, showed him something that gave him this idea. It was this empty platform. Uh, and, and the platform was just among all the other platforms, but all the other platforms had idols on them. <clears throat> this was an empty platform. And there was an inscription under this empty platform that said, the unknown God, the unknown God. Now, why would you have a platform, an empty platform, to an unknown God? Well, it seems that the Greeks and the Romans were, you know, they needed to try to cover all their bases. There were so many gods that they believed in. Every time you turned around, there was a new god that sort of covered a certain area of your life. Um, and they had so many gods to worship and to try to please. Uh, you know, everywhere you looked was one of these gods. What if they missed one? What if they missed one? Well, what if a god that they didn't even know about, showed up one day, and he wanted to know, well, where's my statue? You got statues for, for all, Zeus and all these other people, Hermes, and, you know, where, where, where's, where's my statue? And what if he was a jealous God? What if he was an angry God? Uh-oh. So, the theory was, if that happens, maybe they could say to him, well, well no, 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 my Lord, no, my Lord, we have not forgotten you. No, you have a special place. We have a special place set aside just for you. It's right here. It's this, it's this empty platform. In fact, you can design it any way you want to. It's, just, it's yours to do with what you want. You can call it what, please don't annihilate us. Please don't annihilate us. And perhaps that was, that was the theory that was behind. You know, let's cover all our bases. Let's make sure we don't make some unknown God mad at us. When Paul saw this empty platform... He had an, an idea of how to use that platform. You know, I can imagine the moment that the Holy Spirit put this idea in his mind. It's like, how can I reach these people? That's it. That's how I can reach them. That's how I can begin a conversation with them when we're talking. They're looking for gods everywhere they go. They're looking for gods. They're afraid that they might miss one or neglect one. I can use this to introduce not just an unknown God, but the God that is unknown to them, the true living God. Verse 24, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by men, he told them. You know, the God that's unknown to you, uh, he, he's, the, he's the Lord of everything, of heaven and earth. Not just one little area of your life, but everything. He's the only one. He doesn't share it with many other gods. He is the one and only God over all things. Verse 25, and he is not served by human hands. As if he needed anything, because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything in it. You know, the Greek gods um, basically were like humans, and they were pretty helpless. Uh, uh, they could uh, perform miracles, I guess, but they, they, they sort of relied on humans to take care of them uh, for their pleasure, uh, for food, for money. Uh, the God that is unknown to you... He's telling them, he, he gives you everything. 
you, you don't provide for him. He provides for you because he is the source of all things, all things. Verse 26, from one man, he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. God created all people. Uh, God, like God, man is, is one. And, you know, we're, we're, we're all the same as our, in our humanness. We're different in race and personality and, and likes and dislikes. Um, but we're all the same in that we're created human beings by God. And God wants all of us to seek him and find him. And guess what? He's, made, he's not made himself difficult to find. He doesn't live up on a mountain at Mount Olympus where you've got to climb and get to him and, 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 and figure out how to, how to get to him. No, he's right here for all of us to, to access. Uh, he's very nearby. In fact, Paul says, he, you live in him and he lives in you, this one and only God, the creator of all things. And then Paul uses a brilliant tactic, another another. Uh, idea he had of how to reach a group like this. Um, he quotes one of their own well-known Greek poets. The poet was Aratus, Aratus, who lived from 310 to 240 BC, a poet that all of these really smart people would have been familiar with. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. We are his offsprings. Hey, that's, that's what one of your own poets said. You know, you know, Eratus. Er, uh, um, he recognized the truth about God. This God that's unknown to you. He created us. And since he created us, doesn't it make sense? He's trying to reason with them, using the words of, of a poet they're familiar with. Doesn't it make sense that we could never create God, God who created us in the form of gold or silver or stone? Doesn't that make sense? And then, having set the stage for who this one and only God of creation is, the God who created and sustains them, not vice versa, where people sustain the gods, but the God who sustains us, now he's got their undivided attention. Uh, and with, without having insulted them too much, telling them they're stupid or, or ignorant, um, uh, even complimented them, you know, you guys are sure religious. Wow, it's, it's, it's amazing how religious you are. Even quoting one of their poets, okay, somebody they respected. Um, then Paul delivers a message to them uh, that's meant to plant a seed in their heart. Sometimes you got to start with the seed. You, you can't take somebody like a pagan from 
from zero to making Jesus the Lord of their life in one session. <laughs> you got to do it a little bit at the time. You know, they've got to they got to learn. It's, it's got to be accepted in their hearts, and they've got to 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 seek it. Verse thirty. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now He commands all people everywhere to repent, for He has set a day when He will judge the world with justice by the man He has appointed. He has given proof to this to all men by raising him from the dead. This God that's unknown to you, one day he's going to come and judge us. And he's got a special judge just appointed just for this. He's a guy who rose from the grave. He's a guy who rose from the grave. And notice that Paul didn't mention and didn't name him Jesus. His name is Jesus. He just said, God, the God of creation, you know, the one your poet referred to, he's got a special judge for you. It's a guy who rose from the grave. But he didn't mention his name. Why didn't he mention his name? Well, we can only spe speculate. But remember, these were pagans. They, their minds were filled with hundreds of names of hundreds of gods. So, you know, would a name have mentioned, meant much to them? I don't know. For some reason, Paul decided to start off by just planting a seed about someone who rose from the grave who will judge them. And here it seems that, that Paul's, again, just trying to plant a seed, trying to get their attention so that perhaps later he could have another time to talk to them a little further. You know, the idea of a resurrection, uh, you know, that was something that would be intriguing to these philosophers. Oh, we've never heard of such a thing. Now, many of them didn't even believe that there was life after death at all. So to hear about a God who rose from the dead, you know, wow, that, that is really interesting. Paul got the reaction that he wanted, that he was hoping, that he was praying for. Let's look at verse 32. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. But others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. A few men became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, one of those, those, uh, those philosophers. Also a woman named Demarius and a number of others. So some sneered. Well, I'm sure Paul was expecting a bunch to smear, to sneer. You know, that's going to be expected uh, when you're talking to a group like this. Uh, uh, it, we shouldn't be surprised that some would sneer. I remember I had a friend in, in the Air Force that, uh, when I was stationed at Seymour Johnson, and, and uh, I would try to talk to him about, about uh, God and about uh, Christ, and, and uh, I even gave him a book uh, about it, and and he just, all he could do was sneer about it. Yeah, you know, he, he just thought I was so ignorant and all Christians were ignorant. Uh, I, I, I tried and tried to reach out to him, but he was a sneerer. And, and that's where, you know, maybe a seed was planted and who knows what he's doing now. But, but uh, at that time, he was a sneerer. But a few wanted to hear more. Okay, that's interesting. People, are, people like to talk about interesting things, and, and some wanted to hear more. And so 
we assume Paul had some other opportunities to speak to those who wanted to hear more. Or maybe uh, when, when uh, Silas and Timothy got there, they, or other Christians spoke to them more. And a few of them, even in that first session, believed. Notably, one of the guys from the Areopagus believed. Dionysius, a, a, a woman who was probably a prominent woman um, named Demarius, uh, or a prominent woman named Demarius. The, the, the Areopagus guy was Dionysius. So what did Paul get for his efforts here with this sophisticated group of scholars, like a UNC Chapel Hill professor? What did he get from them? Well, he got a lot of rejection, expected, uh, no surprise there. He got a lot of rejection, but he also got another chance to speak later. And who knows what happened with further conversations that he had. And a couple of them believed. Some of them were people of influence in the community. Now, it wasn't 3,000 people like on the first day of the church and back in Acts chapter 2. But it was a beginning. It was a beginning that could lead to more. Uh, that would never have happened if Paul had thought, you know, these people... They'll never accept the message of Jesus. It's a waste of time. I, I, I shouldn't even bother. I, I'll just go visit the Parthenon and just have some coffee and wait for Silas and Timothy to get here. And then we'll go to some place where people want to hear about Jesus. He could have said that, but he didn't. He found a way. He, he thought of some, with God's help, some, 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 a plan of how he could talk to a group like this, and it made a difference. It made a difference. You know, as Christians, sometimes we're tempted to measure success by large numbers. You know, it's got to be a big crowd if, if there's going to be success. And if there aren't large numbers, then we failed. We failed. Uh, if, there, if, if there's not a chance for a sure victory by, by talking to this person or to this group, then we're just wasting our time. We're wasting our time. If only two people come to the Bible study, it's a failure. I was hoping, I was hoping we'd have 10 or 12, but we only got two. Disappointed. Uh, if only one kid signs up to go to camp, man, I, I was really counting on a, a group going, and now it's just this one kid. Uh, if, if I speak to my coworker and I invite them to church and, and they don't come, well, uh, that was a waste of time. That was a waste of time. If I share how Jesus has blessed my life to someone and, and how I believe that, that he could bless their life too if they just let him, but they don't do anything about it. They don't do anything about it. They, they don't make a move towards Jesus. Then, you know, I guess, I guess that was a time I could have spent better somewhere else. But the truth is, God can take anything we do in his name, no matter how it comes out of our mouth, God can take anything we do in his name and he can make good come from it. He can take awkward words and turn them into wonderful words that people can grasp a hold of. His idea of success, you know, is sometimes different from ours. We're thinking big numbers. He's thinking just that one person is the one I wanted you to talk to. Maybe the two people who came to the Bible study 
Uh, maybe they just needed to talk without a whole bunch of other people there. That's happened to me before. Um, maybe the coworker uh, that you invited to church or that you talked about your relationship with Christ with, maybe they're processing it. And you, and you can have an opportunity to talk further about it later uh, where they can hear more like the Athenians. And, and, you know, in those instances, we need to ask God, give me opportunities. I'm sure, I would imagine as Paul walked around Athens, he was thinking, God, show me what to do. Show me how I can talk to these people and reach, reach out to them. Um, uh, don't give up on people in your life who don't know Christ just because they might reject you the first time. Um, they, might don't, they might not come to church when you invited them. Uh, look for empty platforms in their life. We've all got empty platforms. We've got platforms that, that need God in them, but, but we don't have anything there. You know, uh, Look for empty platforms in people's lives where, where God doesn't exist and God needs to be there. Like, like a marriage a marriage trouble that people are having, struggling with being a parent or, or just dealing with an addiction or, or with, with life itself and with, with finding hope uh, in tomorrow. You know, find an empty platform where you can say, yeah, I, I, know, I know where you could find help for that, for that empty platform. Uh, his name is Jesus. It, I had an empty platform like that myself. Uh, one, once in the past. And, and when Jesus came and filled that platform, man, things got better. Things got better. Uh, a, a way to start a conversation. Find an empty platform. Man, I see you're struggling with this issue. Is there anything I could do to help? Is there anything I can do to help? You know, why don't we speak to people more about Jesus in our lives? Uh, sometimes it's fear. You know, we've probably all been there before. Uh, we're afraid of their reaction. They'll think we're stupid. <laughs> uh, they'll, they'll think we're ignorant. Can't believe you, you believe in those things. Um, maybe we're afraid that we don't know what to say. Uh, boy, I, what if I say the wrong thing? I don't, I don't even know where to start. Uh, again, w- with that, God can take anything you say and make good out of it. So learn your scripture understand the plan of salvation, understand where you can show people their hope in the Bible. That's why it's so important that we all become students of God's word so that we can know uh, how to show people in the scripture their hope. And and just know, hey, God, I'm going to do this. (sighs) Just let the Holy Spirit give me the words. And I promise you he will. Don't be afraid. Sometimes it's fear. That's, that's the reason we don't speak to Jesus. I mean, people about Jesus. Sometimes it's because we're just not focused. That's probably my biggest problem sometimes. I'm, I'm so focused on everything else in the world, and my, myself and what I'm doing, maybe even church work, <laughs> that uh, you know, going to the grocery store and buying what I want or, or, or need, I, I'm not even thinking about this person in my life that doesn't know Jesus. And so I get distracted. You know, a lot of times we're just distracted. And that's why we don't talk to people more about our, our walk with Jesus. But sometimes it's because we think they're just unreachable. You know, uh, they'd never come to church. I mean, that's my boss. I can't talk to my boss about 
the Lord. Um, I can't talk to that person. They're so smart. They, they got college degrees and, and you know, I, I just feel inferior to them. I, I, they, they'd never listen to me. They'd never listen to me. Why, why talk to them? What, what would I even say to them? Don't be so sure that people won't listen to you. I'm sure it would be tempting for Paul to have thought that too. People all need hope. And the only real hope they can find is in Jesus Christ. Be bold. Put fear aside. No matter who this person is in your life that you know. And just find some empty platforms. And in your conversations with them, as you develop your relationship with them, um, say to them, hey, I see you have this empty space in your life. Is there anything I can do to help? Start that conversation. Don't be so sure. People don't want to hear about Jesus. Father, I thank you so much for this great example of, of Paul reaching out to people that, man, we, we would probably think, oh, they'd never listen. But they did. Some of them did. Not all of them. Some of them did. And there'll be people in heaven from the Areopagus because Paul didn't uh, just, just push them aside and think they wouldn't be interested. They were. Some of them were. Lord, there are people in our lives today, um, co-workers, uh, business uh, partners or customers or friends, people we see at the gym, people in our lives, even family members who maybe we, we've concluded that they're not interested. They would never be interested. But everyone needs hope. Every, everyone has empty platforms that need to be filled with something that's lasting and true and real. And we know that you are that, that, that thing that, that fills those empty spaces, really the only thing. So, Father, just give us boldness. Help us to know that your spirit can give us the words. Help us to understand scripture and study it and be prepared be students of your word so that we can share it with those that we talk to. Lord, um, help us to reach out to who we might think are the unreachable. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.